0: welcome to this week's episode of from the lighthouse this week i'm joined by kwa tran who teaches media arts at western sydney university hi kwa
1: hi michelle
0: and our favorite producer jimmy van hi jimmy hi michelle we're here to discuss ingmar bergman's wonderful film autumn sonata and it's lovely to have you with us. Jimmy, what what made you suggest that I should watch Ingmar Bergman's Autumn Sonata?
2: Well, I think the main reason is because you've never watched a Bergman film. Isn't that right, Michelle?
0: Yes, shame me publicly, that's right. Never, never watched a Bergman film. Yeah,
2: foreign film, you know, um, expert here, Michelle, who loves foreign film, has never seen a single Ingmar Bergman film, which is absolutely disgraceful. So we thought that, you know, well, what's a good introduction into Bergman? Uh, and Bergman is a very unusual director because he's got um, some very, very experimental films, which are quite difficult to uh, to look at. So I'm thinking of something like Persona, uh, and I don't think they're good films to introduce a viewer two for the first time. For, uh, for me, Autumn Sonata is probably his most accessible. It's, uh, but it's also a really interesting film because it's his last cinematic film. Uh, and it's a last of a last as well. So it's both um, Ingrid Bergman and Ingmar Bergman's last cinematic film. Uh, and it's the only film that they ever worked together. So they're known as, you know, two of the uh, biggest Swedish exports. Uh, and yet they've never worked together uh, until this film came about. Uh, so I thought this was a really good film for for you, Michelle, mainly because I think you know it's a it's a pathway into Bergman. So if you like this film, then chances are you'll probably like all his other films. Uh, but I also thought it was a good entry for you because it's a topic matter that you could probably relate to quite extensively, having you know being a mother of two daughters yourself just as, you know, the character in this film is a mother of two daughters as well.
0: I don't know about that parallel, Jimmy. I'm just, you know, I'm, just, I'm playing that one out because I'm, I'm thinking of my two daughters. I'm, I'm certainly no pianist, I can tell you that. Well, you
2: do also play the piano, Michelle.
0: Um, very badly. Very, yeah. very badly. <laughs> um,
2: uh, and you also, you know, you, you're in... In the creative arts just as the character in this film is also in the creative arts as well so i think there's a lot of interesting parallel uh, in this film not, not i'm saying that your relationship with your daughters is as fraught as a relationship <laughs> that um charlotte uh, in this film has with her daughter but uh, it's i think a theme and an issue that most people can relate to and in particular most women can relate to i remember reading an article and i've forgotten who wrote this now uh, of someone saying that um, this is everyone is a daughter of somebody, so regard you know every woman I should say is a daughter of somebody. So regardless of um, you know where you come from in life, you're going to be able to relate to this because you're going to have some form of this relationship with your mother, and if you are also a mother yourself, then you might have some form of this relationship with your daughter as well. So I thought uh, in terms of um, relatability, this was probably the best one that I could think of um, for autumn Sonata. So that's why I recommended it for you to watch. Now, the question is, I suppose, you know, what did you think of the film, Michelle?
0: Look, it was so powerful Um, and it was such an intense experience to watch the film because obviously it it deals with death, betrayal, you know, and it is in a a sense um, a a, a, a particularly, um, I guess, feminine experience because of the, you know, just the expectations on mothering so that, you know, sort of, in the making the decision to to follow one 's um, not even career but I guess one 's calling as a concert pianist um, came at you know sort of such great cost because of course it is the story of of a of a sort of a, a, of, a, of a mother and and particularly one mother and her um, i think it 's the eldest daughter who has married um, minister, or a, 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 I think he's a perhaps a, a, a priest minister, um, to live on the, the the sort of, I guess, the, 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 in the, the vicarage. And I think you get the feeling that um, there's a lot of work within the community that she's given herself over to. And she is, we were saying very deliberately, a, a, a plain Jane um, who we discover has also lost her own So she's one of those very homespun, earthy um, sort of looking women, um, deliberately so in contrast to the most beautiful Ingrid Bergman, who was just breathtakingly gorgeous and was not expecting that after so many years, um, who is concert pianist, um, sparkling personality, dresses I don't even know how to describe that dress, <laughs> the red caftan number that she comes down to dinner and the contrast between, you know, sort of that that very sort of, um, uh, you know, sort of the, the the earthy cottage. I mean, it was a beautiful home, but the watching Ingrid, uh, Ingrid Bergman come down the stairs in, in, in a red sort of flowing caftan. Um, and, of course, then there's the piano between the two women and I thought that was fascinating the way that... Um, the The Chopin was sort of played off between them and the, and the time that was given to that you know sort of such um, you know, so, 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 so such a sort of a lingering morose version of um, well of the it was the prelude wasn 't it prelude yeah yeah and and then there 's this, this sister who seems to have a severe degenerative disease who 's being looked after in a, in another room, um, and then of course the older husband who he sort of plays an interesting sort of, I guess, anchoring role um, that has a certain spotlight on it because he is, you know, sort of that that sort of, I guess, single male figure in that household and the culmination of that long night where the two of them sort of confront each the two versions of the past um, and the irreconcilability of it. Um it was it was just it was so um beautiful and intense um and also disturbing. I think it was a deeply disturbing film that didn't make anything it didn't make the past easy. Um I think particularly that really extended um scene given to the sister with the de, um, debilitating disease who loses. Oh, and it's actually the language, the exploration of what it means to speak. It was almost a sort of a, it was almost this sort of lapsarian exploration of of, of language because, you know, sort of that idea of the serpent who uses words to, um, you know, sort of tempt Um, Adam and Eve into temptation and that idea of language as, as an intrinsically suspicious medium. Was so fascinatingly explored um, to the point where it was just, it just created this wonderful infinite regress of, you know, sort of if if this set of words can be dubious because they might just be flattery or they might just be, um, you know, sort of designed to manipulate or, or whatever, then what words can be taken? You know what words can actually be taken for their their value. You know, even in the sto- even in that outpouring of their stories, um, you know, you just you just felt that intrinsically. Um, I guess slippery nature of language and the stories that we tell each other and ourselves. Um, So yeah, I guess I really loved it. Um, I
2: mean, you've, you've, you've covered so many themes there that I think, you know, uh, we're going to have a hard time trying to unpack that before we do. uh, I'd like to get Kwa's uh, opinion on the film first, and then we'll try to unpack some of those, you know, labyrinth of uh, themes and ideas that Michelle has just sort of, Race through because there were so many times there that I actually wanted to stop you and say, Can we just talk about that theme for one second? There, that's I mean, me
0: my impression of the film. That's like, I, I know,
2: an impression, Michelle, not a full length, you know, exegesis on <laughs> its significance. Um, because I do want to go back to that wonderful piano scene, uh, which is my favorite scene in the entire film. I know everybody loves raving about the you know, the, the final fight sequence at the end. But for me, that piano scene is you know, perfectly encapsulates the film. But um, so, Kwa, what, what did you think of the film? Um, I think for me, uh,
1: I think I'm. I'll probably often my discussions with film uh, goes back to the process of filmmaking because I guess that's what I often do um, as a teacher as well. So, um, uh, and also in an interest of mind, and so I kind of looked at it in that way. Um, so kind of looking at um the idea of like the cost of creativity um and um it's interesting because i read that uh Berg, okay uh, ingmar ingmar bergman the director believes that uh filmmaking uh music as is, is as close to filmmaking for him in any other art medium uh, for him, music is as close to filmmaking because he believes, and I think it's something uh, I've got it here. But it says something about uh, both affects our emotions directly, not via the intellect. So he believes it's a it's a it's a kind of more of a, an anti it's not anti intellectual, but rather uh, an emotional experience for him, even spiritual. And uh, that's something it's uh, often in his films too. Um, so I kind of feel like maybe this film is about him which all filmmakers kind of make stuff about themselves anyway. And uh, it's really interesting that way because the, the obvious connection is that Ingmar Bergman is the Ingrid Bergman character to some degree.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a strong audio, um, autobiographical element to, to this film. Uh, I was actually looking up some of the things because so so it started because Ingrid Bergman really wanted to work with Ingmar Bergman before she died Um, and it should be noted incidentally uh, for those who uh, it's been widely noted about this anyways I'm not revealing anything new but um, uh, Ingrid Bergman uh, had already been diagnosed with terminal cancer by the time she did this film so she was um, she knew that was going to be her last film um, and it was going to be a bit of a a struggle for her as well Uh, but Ingmar Bergman wanted to do this film in a way because he wanted to explore the idea of motherhood. Uh, and there's a lot of really interesting parallels here. So first off, Liv Ullman, who plays the daughter, was married to Ingmar Bergman and is a mother to one of his kids. He's got many kids. Uh, and I learned another little bit of interesting trivia, the, um, which goes back to the whole piano uh, scene. The, um, the pianist who actually plays the, the Chopin piece, the, the prelude, uh, is also another ex-wife of <laughs> Ingmar Bergman as well, um, who is the mother of his son, Daniel Bergman, who's now also a director himself. So there's all these mother figures in his films who are directly you know related to, to him to some degree. And I think certainly um, Ingrid Bergman is a, a representation of Ingmar Bergman and, and, and his struggles with his kids as well. You know, he... Um, but also he's, he's pulling in the two actresses' own experience with their own kids too. So Ingrid Bergman very famously uh, left her uh, husband for uh, Roberto Rossellini, of course, a whole scandal and, of course, left her daughter with her, uh, her first husband during that period uh, as well. And their relationship has always been quite fractured as a result. So um, Ingrid Bergman herself was probably drawing from her own experience. And Liv Ullmann um, also drew from her own experience in her biography. She also stated that, um, you know, when her work was doing really well, it, it doesn't actually compensate for the fact that, you know, her domestic life wasn't doing as well. So both actresses were actually drawing from their own um, experiences uh, of motherhood too. So I think it is quite an autobiographical film on so many different levels.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I... I, I um i kind of feel for for, especially for him uh it's definitely um very personal for him but uh i wanted to ask you uh, jimmy uh, and maybe michelle as well um why is it that a lot of artists including especially him seem to have such insight in their own experience and other people's experience through the lens of their films and art but not in the real world that they live in?
0: Look, I mean, I, I have to say I didn't realise the degree of those connections or actually any of those connections when I was watching the film. So I'm sort of processing, you know, the, those, those revelations as, as we're speaking. And, you know, it, it's, it's almost as though there's this sort of compulsion, I guess, to, to create you know, there's this sort of almost, sort of almost, I guess, a, a, a predestination that you know one is the the pianist, one is the filmmaker. You know, that's 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 so compelling, and that means that, and it's so consuming, isn't it? Like it's it's so consuming, and it's 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 also so costly. Like I, I think that that's the thing about producing uniform of art is that it's profoundly costly and it works it operates in an economy that is outside the actual because you know sort of it's so many things are sort of a cost benefit analysis aren't they you know they Mm -hmm. cost this much dollars or they take this many hours so you get remunerated in this way and yet that act of producing something that might you know sort of take months or years or decades out of your life in a way that is so consuming and to the point where you don't have enough left over. You know, like enough left over for the the people in your life who you could love and feel what you're doing to them. But the you know like human beings have I think unfortunately finite reserves. And anything that takes so much from you might leave you enough to know that you love this person or, or to leave you enough to know that you want this, you know, this child to be happy or, or this to be part of your life, yet not enough to do what needs to be done in order to make those things re- reconcile. And, and I think that in a lot of instances it is a choice because it, so many things take more you know, sort of take more than um, somebody has to give, and yet you're sort of take you you take that step down that path, and and then um, the rest is destiny, sort of thing. Yeah. I the, don't know.
1: Yeah, look, I, I agree with you. Um, it, it it's it's it takes so much uh, out of uh, the the per, the creative person. Um, um, I, I think my Uh, I've got to be honest with you, with this film and a lot of other Bergman, uh, Ingmar Bergman films, um, it, it doesn't leave me with answers, it leaves me with more questions. Um, And this film makes me question a lot of things. Um, And there's that cost of, of the artist, but there's also what, for me, it also suggests what type of personality gets into heavy into creative arts or, or, or rather being very successful at doing art. Um, And uh, there's almost a narcissistic element to um, Ingrid uh, Bergman's character Um, at the end where she's in the train and she's, uh, you know, right at the end, she's talking to her, her manager who she's being flirtatious to uh, and all that. And she's, she's talking about her weekend with her, her her, her her daughters. Incidentally, she, she left without saying you know officially goodbye or anything like that. Um, and she says, uh, uh, you know Helen, you know um, she was there the um, uh, the the other daughter with um, uh, the uh, the illness." Um, and she says, uh, uh she's suffering so much. Um, I, I just wish that she would die." Uh, is is that really mean or nasty of me? And she continue, continue, continues being flirtatious, or, or rather, just it's just a and just a thought in her mind, and I just thought, wow, you know, there's this. I don't know. How, how do you feel about that, Michelle? Because before I, uh, uh, um, yeah, because there's an, another element which I thought was interesting is that she says some. She's very, um, she's very insightful, but at the uh, but her actions aren't very insightful because she says this line, which I thought was very profound. She says um in in the film uh, um uh, uh a sense of reality is a matter of talent most people lack that talent and maybe it's just as well and i almost feel like she's saying it about herself you know um you know like she 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 understands this but then she her actions are very shallow you know when it comes to her kids anyway
0: Look, you know, because it, it, it is that, I mean, it was such a throwaway line, wasn't it? Like it was it was such a throwaway line and part of it was the delivery, wasn't it? Like, I mean, it, it, there was no pause, there was no sort of look out the window, you yeah. know, there was just nothing. It was, it was part of a stream of dialogue um, and yet, you know, the thought has to have come from somewhere. And I, I think what was interesting to me was the way that, um, as I say, there are so many eloquent people in this film, you know, sort of, and, and Ingrid Bergman is one of them. What, her character is one of those um, sort of eloquent people. The, the daughter in that uh, moment when she reveals her conceptual idea of what's happening with, between she and her dead son, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's, that was surreal, there's no other way of describing that. And yet the, yeah. the mother dismisses that quite callously as well, doesn't she? Unison. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're right. because, yeah, because she, um, during that last train scene, we cut back and forth from the difference between her, the, the mum and the daughter. The daughter's at this funeral, uh, um, sorry, at the cemetery talk uh, and, you know, being quite Im- emotional and saying, Eric, her, her dead son, uh, you know, um, uh, one day they'll be together. But we cut back and forth and when we see the difference between mum and daughter. You know, um, daughter's been really um, dutiful, and mum's just on a train to the next uh, gig.
0: Because I think I think that it's that thing that because I mean the other, you know, there's sort of two things. Because I think one of them is that because the expectations on women to mother perhaps make it impossible. You know, sort of even with you know sort of the most nurturing sort of care. Around a child to feel it as anything other than a deficit in a way that perhaps it, it seems on a surface that men could potentially explore their, you know, sort of their creative sides or their artistry or you know, sort of perhaps potentially be that concert pianist or the maestro that was so dismissive of her performance. Because they have that base. So not only do they have the base to look after the child, but there's also this sort of cultural expectation around fathers that's so different to women. So there's, there's so so in, in choosing to have a, a sort of a female protagonist, it kind of intensifies the dilemma. And yet, I think that you're right in, in term, like in that sense that um, although Ingmar Bergman may have chosen to make the um, lead a woman, a mother etc perhaps it was in order to explore that only a woman could allow him to explore the extreme or the exquisite cost you know like that exquisite cost but then the fascinating thing was for me the way that at the point at which that terrible um, conflict was escalating and the tirade that the daughter was launching at um, Ingrid Bergman uh, you have that absolutely sort of um, stomach-wrenching moment where the, um, the, the, the the daughter with a disease who can no longer speak but can only make these guttural um, sort of sounds is, is, is given this really lengthy screen time where it's just this, um, it's so confronting. I mean, that was such a confronting moment. And yet, I don't know about you two, but I, I felt as though it was almost as though she was coming to her mother's defence even though she didn't have the words for it. And I, I don't know if that was me overlaying that meaning or whether, you know, sort of coming at it from a different perspective, it might've been, she was adding to the chorus of her sister to say, yes, she left us. Do you know what I mean? And there was no way of determining that. Yeah, I think that she was her-
1: calling out for her mum,
0: <laughs>
1: which which is quite a sad thing now that you mention it because uh, even though her sister has been taking care of her for what is the last two years or something.
0: i taken her out of the hospital.
1: Yeah. And so, taking care of her, but in, in her time of like pain, she calls out for her mother. Um, maybe because she 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 knows that her mother's there to visit, you know. Um, but it's yeah, it, it, it's 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 very but confronting. So she seems
0: so aware of the conflict you know, it seems to be driving her on her. Was that right? Or because it was a week or so ago that I watched it. And, you know, of so in my memory, I did get this feeling as though she was so desperate to reach them because she throws herself out of bed. Yeah. Doesn't she?
1: Yeah. She's trying to even climb down the stairs or she was just in the, the top of the stairs, and just, um, you know, in pain or, 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 or emotional pain. But, uh, you know, we get the feeling that she, she's heard, She's hearing her her other her sister and her mum talk from outside and for whatever uh, whatever intention she wants to um, be part of that
0: and it's almost as though the 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 older daughter um, Helen has reached a point she's tipped over into a point where perhaps you know sort of her her tirade is or has reached the point where it's 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 sort of merciless cruel and potentially excessive. Mm. I don't know, like, what, what, or, or was, do you, do you know what I mean? Like, it was just, and you sort of felt like, this, I think the scales flipped at a point, I don't know, was Ingrid affected by that? I mean, I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I read but, it slightly differently uh, in terms of the, the relationship between the, the daughters and, and the mother. Uh, so, I I sort of looked at it from a more symbolic perspective, because, um, you know, probably from years of watching Bergman film, a lot of the things that he does tend to be quite symbolic in nature. So for me, the, um, the Liv Ullman um, daughter, so Eva, is kind of the, uh, if you think about, you know, a family dynamic, there's usually one sibling who's much more dominant, who's very expressive and, you know, he says everything. And then you've got another sibling who then is the quiet, you know, um, one that just sort of isn't heard, you know, he's there, but it's not heard by the parent a lot of the time. And so for me, um, Helena, the uh, um, the disabled daughter who's, who's dying cruelly, um, represents that idea you know that all she can do is make sounds you know she she's trying to be heard, but she's never heard. she's not heard by her mother, she's not heard by her sister, nobody really hears her, nobody really understands her um, and in a way, the disease then is the the, the symbol of uh, or the the technique used to express that idea of um, a daughter who's seen but not heard by her mother uh, and she so she cries out and it's a, a very deliberate move i think to get us to think about that kind of uh, parental relationship where one parent pays a lot of attention to mm. of child, but not as much attention to another child yeah uh, yeah it's, that's... It's, yeah there, there is a sense of regret there i think you know i mean yeah. we, we see in the ingrid bergman character that i think she and it's, it's a testament to her acting too. You know, when she sees Helena for the first time, she does kind of softens a bit. You know, Bergman, as Michelle has mentioned, is a very, very beautiful woman. And, when she, and she is just stunning to look at. You know, when, when she enters the screen, your eyes are just drawn to her. Um, but I have never seen her so cold as in this film. You know, her face is just almost like this mask of coldness. And the only times that I see that coldness break is when she first encounters her her daughter, Helena. It's almost like a, a note of regret.
1: Hmm. That,
2: you know, she, she feels bad for what's happened to, to this daughter. But at the same time, she feels bad that she doesn't feel enough for yeah. her as well. Yeah. And, and I think that, that comes through quite nicely because, um, you know, to, to go back to the, the topic you guys were talking about earlier in terms of um, the relationship between art and parenthood, one of the things that I've noticed in, in this film is what's something that Michelle mentioned as well, which is this, this idea of choice. I think at some stage in uh, a lot of parents' lives, they they do choose one thing over another. Not necessarily that it makes you an evil or monstrous person to do so, but one person who chooses their career over their kids, um, it is a deliberate choice that they've made. I've chosen to prioritise my career over my kids. But that doesn't mean that they don't regret not being able to look after their kids as well. And I kind of get that conflict or see that conflict happening in the Ingrid Bergman character that. Yes, she has made this choice to prioritise her career, but at the same time, she does feel this sense of regret that she's neglected her, her kids as a result of that. Um, and going back to that autobiographical thing, you know, there's a wonderful quote from Ingmar Bergman, which I think perfectly explains that relationship between uh, art and parenthood where he says, you know, he, he, he said he doesn't remember the ages of his kids, and he has a lot of them. He doesn't remember a single one of his kids' age. He counts the years by the number of films that he's made.
0: Yeah.
2: you know, And, and so yeah. that kind of explains that relationship really succinctly. I think, you know, that that's the more important thing But
0: it's the focus, isn't it? Like it's the, you know, it's, 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 it's as though the human being, you know, as, as much as we need, you know, sort of multiple things in our lives actually, for some people, there is this singular focus that yes. makes everything recede into the background. And But I think the other side of that is that, you know, in some sense, um, Ingrid Bergman, and because we, we, you know, we had that terrifying glimpse into the moment when she actually threw herself into mothering and it was actually the worst year <laughs> of the daughter's life. So you also get this sense that actually some people are going to be damned if they do and damned if they don't because you can't really imagine you know you can't really imagine any human being being able to just reconcile themselves to one or the other once it's like the the it's life it's as though life sort of bifurcates and you are compelled to live both you know sort of realities whether you want to or not, but one will necessarily always be, you know, sort of, I guess, the shadow world, which I think parallels the idea of what the daughter was thinking about in terms of her understanding of the death of the son as well. You know, this idea, you know, she almost encapsulated this idea. She doesn't have her son, but he's living within this sort of parallel um, universe where they're so close and yet so far away. And, you know, you sort of almost get this sense that perhaps if she'd be able to create that kind of a story around her mother, you know, so loved but so far away, you know, still there but so, you know, then perhaps, you know, because it, it, it just... it. it or, I mean, I think there's no way that you would ever get some sort of happy resolution. And I think that's part of it, isn't it? Because that's, that's what music, that's what film, that's what literature, that's what poetry does, is it refuses an answer. Like, there's not an answer. This is not a problem yeah. and there is an answer to it. This is, yeah. this is, this is the, 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 the chaos of living. And well, that, living think- is chaotic. And art tries to sort of create some sort of form out of it so that we can at least, you know, sort of find some sort of reconciliation to some small little bit, you know, some, some part of it that we can at least glimpse into, you know, sort of the, the, the incommensurability, you know, because it, it's that, it's that, isn't it, between, the, between these two. She couldn't have been a mother. She couldn't have, do you know what I mean? And once a child was born, she, it was like she couldn't be just a pianist either.
1: Do you think that's? Uh, yeah, you. Uh, I agree because you know there's. It's it's neither an ending or a beginning. It's almost like. Do you think that's why it's called Autumn Sonata, where it's like it, it's in the middle of the season the, of the two extremes, you know, summer and, and and winter. Um, you know, it's like there's no, like w- I I got out of it as like so if, what's the answer then? What if, if you're intro, if if you if you are, someone who wants to pursue a you know uh, an artistic career or or anything that uh, relies on a lot of your time uh, and you also want to be a parent a good parent what what's the answer what how do you do it i mean i guess it's maybe you can't
0: well look you know i think there's degrees aren't there you know like i think that uh there's degree i you know there's degrees i guess i mean are there degrees of artistry so i mean we know that there are people who perhaps dabble, dabble in poetry or dabble or you know do this and do that but are there particular art forms that refuse that dabbling you know is there a point at which you actually in order to be you know sort of great or genius or whatever it is you do need to make those kinds of calls and i think you know in terms of that autumn i mean it, it, in a sense, all of those characters, despite the age of, you know, even though um, I, even though the daughter is, you know, sort of ostensibly only middle-aged or perhaps even less than middle-aged, mm-hmm. you can feel that each of those characters um, is in their autumn. And so you've got that mm. real sort of sense of, yep. you know, sort of that, approaching winter you know things coming towards the end that poignancy of autumn where you can still you know you might still have the the warmth the the, the life force mm. the the scent but you know that it's coming to an end. Like you yeah. you know that it's coming to an end. It's not beginning, it's not spring, it's not the middle of things. Yeah. You have actually reached that point. You're not quite at the end, <laughs> but it's close. And and each of them is sort of you felt this inevitability, because I mean the daughter was never going to have another child, she was sort of settling in for it was going to be the autumn of her life. And as much as the, the mother may have, you know, sort of done the the vivacious, you know, artiste at the end, she she's drawing the end, you know, it's just this sort of and, and the daughter, do- the sister is, Helen is clearly even the names of the characters, like I think Eva you know, and and particularly Eva because, you know, she's the one who's writing the letters, you know, she's she's the one who in a sense is is, is calling the mother and there's a level of duplicity where she doesn't actually tell the mother that Helen is here you know, and there's the father who's uh, you know, I was interested in the husband ultimately reading um, you know, sort of the letters he's his declaration of devotion to Eva, you know, and, and the way that in the face of the mother who is sort of belittling as almost a form of madness or, you know, sort of the, the, to choose to that eloquent um, and, you know, sort of really in itself striking um, understanding of how her son is living parallel to her because it was so detailed, wasn't it? Like it wasn't some little, I think my son is still with me kind of dialogue. It was, it was, it was its own form of world building. Like she yeah. was using her worlds to build that world and, and that understanding of, of what was, you know, sort of between she, the, the existence that she was living was essentially different to everyone else's because of her understanding of her, where her son was in place to her.
1: Yeah. That, that, that scene with, um, the daughter and the mum. the daughter saying, uh, Eric's with me, um, uh, you know, my son, um, and all that. Um, and she's having this really almost, um, little bit, um, out of this world conversation. My, my son's here with me, et cetera, et cetera. And it was very deep and powerful. And then, and then Charlotte, the, um, the mum, uh, uh, Ingrid Bergman's character says, yeah, we should go for a walk now. Um, and it was just like, what the heck, you know, and then afterwards, I remember because I was watching it last night, so it's fairly fresh. Um, uh, uh, In- Ingrid Bergman's uh, character t- talks to the uh, the husband, says, oh, "I think um, Eva's a little bit uh, insane or a bit mad." Um, you know, she thinks that uh, her her son's uh, around her. She's talking about her son, and then the f- there's this beautiful moment where the husband says. In the, in the, not not um, I'm I'm summarising it, but it basically says it says yeah I'm aware of that, but whatever makes her happy, I'm here for her, that sort of thing, and so there's yeah. this kind of dynamic uh, like difference between the way he approaches um, Eva's grief um, versus the um, in Ingrid Bergman's uh, the mum's uh, approach, which is completely different.
0: Which is sort of superficial and, and I mean, I think to bring it to, you know, sort of to bring potentially back, Ginny, the uh, the two interpretations of the Chopin, it's almost as though the mother has reserved that part of herself that looks and thinks and lives deeply for her music. And I guess that that, um, you know, sort of a lot does ride on the degree to which you feel as though the mother's interpretation of the Chopin was, if not the playing superior, then at least her understanding of the piece, you know, the degree to which you feel as though she had the ability to read into that Chopin prelude um, what she may not have been able to read into the daughter's grief. And, you know, like, is that that what we're being asked to do with that backdrop of the suspicion, you know, that hermeneutics of suspicion around what language does? You know, is that seductive, um, you know, sort of is that seductive medium that leads people into temptation? You, do you know what I mean? That can be duplicitous. You, it's because that's what I love. I mean, the film is just, you know, fabulous. But yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, to go back to that scene, because as, as I mentioned, it is one of my favourite, probably my favourite scene in the entire film. I watch it over and over again. I don't know why. It's probably I um, I don't know. <laughs> Of a, it's an
0: extraordinary prelude too, is like it's so beautiful, isn't it, it? It's
2: a beautiful piece and I think a
0: difficult piece. It's a
2: difficult piece, but it's mm-hmm. also th- the way that um, the Charlotte character, so the Ingrid Bergman character, explains how it should be played. Mm. You know, that kind of level of analysis that she's put into this piece. And it does make you wonder, as both of you have commented there, why she hasn't put that level of analysis on her own kids. You know, she's able to interpret this Chopin piece and say, you know, Chopin wasn't some sort of mulling, womanish person. You know, he was, you know, he was manly and, you know, he, you know it hurts him, but he doesn't want to show it. And, you know, she's, she has this wonderful insight into this piece of music, but she doesn't have the same insight into her kid. You know, there's a fantastic line that Eva um, accuses her of. She says, you know, look, you talk of my hatred, but your hatred is no less. And, you know, it's at that moment that you kind of realise that that anger, that resentment that, um, that has built up between the relationship between mother and daughter is, is palpable and it's, it's there, it's, it exists on both levels. It's not just simply the daughter being resentful of the mother, but it's also the mother being resentful of the daughter in a way for being resentful of her. For her Perhaps
0: just from refusing her the possibility of being whole.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it also points to something that I'm really particularly interested in, which is the way that we blame our parents for, you know, every little grievances that we ever have with them. You know, she's, uh, I, you know, it's been a while since I've watched, it, I have to admit, and I was just too tired last night to to watch it again. Um, so I, my, my memory may need a bit of a refresher, but I seem to recall um, Eva accusing her mother of little things like, you know, not coming to a recital, you know. Yep. Something like that, you know. Yeah, like, um,
1: yeah, her, her mom would say, oh, your teeth isn't uh, straight, and so she got braces.
2: Yeah, like she remembers every little injury that her mother has ever inflicted, whether intentional or even unintentional injury to some extent. I mean, some of them were quite cruel, I think, um, such as, you know, her mother being too busy to even be there for her when her first you know, child was born, for example, um, or, you know, being there for some of the big milestones of her life. And it raises the question of, you know, well, what's the mother's duty? You know, is a mother meant to be there for every single major event in their children's life? And if they miss out on one of those events, is that going to be a trauma-inducing incident? Because it seems like every single grievance, Eva has held on to every single grievances. And the interesting thing for me with this film is that the first time I watched it, I was quite young. And I completely identified with the Eva character. I thought, yeah, you know, know, I understand what you mean, you know, you know. Yeah, you, you, how could she be such a monstrous person but the second time i watched it which admittedly was about 10 years after that mm-hmm. but not that much longer but certainly enough time for me to grow up a little bit more um i sort of saw it slightly differently where i thought you know well, why are you being so petty with yeah. every little you know grievances that you have you know i should begin to feel, feel a little bit more sympathy towards the mother this time yeah it's interesting that
1: you uh said that jimmy because the second time I watched it was last night <laughs> and I, I, I did see that as well. I saw, okay. So the letter, Michelle, uh, that, uh, you, you said that you didn't, um, you, uh, you had some technical issues, um, and you kind of didn't, um,
2: uh, get the, the letter. Uh, in- we should mention that uh, th- this was a, a conversation we had before we started recording the po- podcast. So okay. Michelle was saying that, you know, when she started watching the, the film, she had some technical difficulties where she couldn't actually uh, read the letter or yep. read the subtitles of the letters properly.
1: Yeah. So the letter in the beginning was uh, an invite um, that uh, Eva, the daughter, uh, was about to mail and give to Charlotte, um, Ingrid Bergman, the, the mother character. Um, and um, she asked if the husband would like to read it just to make sure everything's all right. And so she, I think she said something like, um, I found out that your partner, uh, Leonard, um, um, died, died um, and we would love to see you, mum and uh, come, come and visit. And that, that's basically it. Now, in the, the first time I, I, I watched that scene, the first time I watched the movie, uh, I thought, Oh, what? Well, that's a really beautiful thing to, you know, you haven't seen your mum for seven years, you know, you're inviting her cause you heard that, you know, something tragic happened in her life. Come. The, the last time, last night I watched it again and I almost feel like it's a spiteful invite. It's mm-hmm. almost like, hey, come and see what you have, what what you've left. And the last time you saw us was seven years. And I'm going to also not tell you that your other daughter, who's got an illness, is here until you turn up, because there's no way now that you can't face that. You can't, you can't refuse to turn up because you're, you're here now. So I'm, I'm. It's almost to kind of, it's,
0: it's quite manipulative, isn't it? Yeah, a, a, a bit manipulative.
1: manipulative. It's almost did to say, mother, um, um, yeah look, I'm sure maybe she killed two birds with one stone, and she she was still being nice and uh kind and and have her and um and uh take her sister out of the um the, the home to to you know the um the, this uh, institute to to look after her, but at the same time, I kind of feel that she did it so that the mum could could see uh, helena for, for for what she is as well, just to make it feel guilty.
0: And perhaps also to invite her mother at a point at which the mother might predictably be low, having nursed someone to death. Exactly. Not that I think we exactly. necessarily find that because there's a, sort of a mercenary element to her. Exactly. When she discovers that the, the yeah. lover who died
1: yeah. and, was and, and, very
0: wealthy.
1: And, and, she, also, and Eva, the daughter, um, she's almost quite cold to her husband as well. You know it's we first hear the voice of the husband. The first thing we hear is the voice of the husband, and he and he's talking to her uh, uh, he's talking to the camera about her and how how she is in fine detail. It's almost like somebody who really um admires her in some way, but there's a distance you know she she's almost like distant towards him.
0: well, she said that she couldn't love him she, she couldn't was love only him married yeah. she said, "I
1: don't love you, Yeah, and yet the
0: implicit idea is that he does love her.
1: Yeah, and every time that she she has any real emotion, she gives him those emotions in a form of a letter or in writing. There's no, you know, there's no like there's
0: no immediacy. Yeah. Well, it brings into that whole notion, isn't it? You know, sort of the written versus the spoken word. Yeah. Yeah. you know, and which is going to be truer, which has more value. Exactly. He deliberately keys into that, doesn't he? Because that's, I mean, it's such, in some sense, are you going to argue that in measuring her thoughts in such a way that she composes a letter, there's more, you know, sort of tr- truth, or are you going to argue that she's doctoring her emotions in order to present them in a, in a, in a sort of a, an acceptable way? And you can't actually get to the bottom of that question, you just have to allow the fact that both those possibilities exist exactly. and that they, they exist throughout the the entire and I think, you know, sort of the the very fact that he's chosen, you know, sort of the sonata form, you know, in 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 terms of referencing it in the in the title with its whole idea of, you know, sort of I guess that thematic idea that is then you know, sort of exponentially varied across, you know, sort of the the, the, the the body of the piece to come to recapitulate towards the end again, you know, so, so you've got that sort of that, that tight structure. You know, he, he, he doesn't call it autumn prelude, <laughs> you know, he, he chooses a prelude, yet he calls it a sonata. Um, and, and there is this sort of idea that actually we have this um, motif and we never escape it. You know, like we come up with this idea and, our, you know, we, we, we come up with this idea and then it, it shapes our very being forever and no matter how far we try and run from it, in the end we return to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I did read up something about that a while ago and I've completely forgotten who wrote this. Uh, but uh, apparently it was an interview with Bergman where he said the reason he chose the sonata form uh, was because in a way it represented, for him anyway, uh, the whole experience of, um, growing up and parenthood he said that you know um, as as children uh, at some stage we fight and we you know we run away from our parents and mm-hmm. it's only when we return to them again that we have actually grown up as a person you know so that return that you know that that final movement of the sonata the return back again is when we've come mm-hmm. to our own, when we've come mature ourselves, which is quite interesting in itself when you look at the relationship between Eva and Charlotte, because I almost got the sense that by the end, Eva will become a Charlotte of her own. You know, she may not prioritize um, you know, her, her career or, you know, her musical career, but she, you know, she does she doesn't have the, the kind of talent that, that her mother has. But there'll be other things that she'll prioritize. There'll be other injuries that she will then inflict on her own daughter. And for me, the entire film is almost cyclical in nature. It almost seems to represent that the relationship between mother and daughter is this never ending bond. And that's exactly what it is. It's a bond. They, no matter how much they hate and are uh, angry with each other, they can never break that bond between each other, which is why it's, um, it's unresolved. The resolution would be for them to part ways, but they can't do that because they're tied together almost as if, you know, I think Charlotte, uh, or maybe it was Eva, is that that umbilical cord has never been cut between mother and daughter. And it will never be cut between mother and daughter. No matter how much you resent and hate each other, you're, you're tied to each other for life, which can be a really depressing view uh, if, if you think about it. But at the same, same time, I think also quite a hopeful view because it means that yeah, no matter how angry you are with them, you're still tied to them to some degree. So you, you kind of still have to make it work. So yes, it does end on an, uh, a no resolution idea, but at the same time, it's sort of a resolution in itself. You know, for me, this is actually one of Bergman's most optimistic, if I can call it that, film, because it doesn't end with me just thinking, oh, God, I just want to, you know, kill myself right now. What's the point of living? Which most Bergman films usually inspire me to do. This one kind of makes me question um, my own fraught relationship, I suppose, with my uh, parents or or with my mother uh, and try to understand that relationship a little bit better. And for me, it's a film that is Bergman himself trying to come to terms with his relationship with his parents, which was very, very fraught, and subsequently his relationship with his kids. Now, we are running out of time, but I just wanted to end, um, I think, with one final thought, which I had read about the the film and I wanted to share with you two and see what you thought about this idea. Um, Bergman said that in his original script, what he wanted to do was at the end, so in that final sequence, the scene that everybody remembers, you know, that um, fantastic fight scene between... Eva and Charlotte, he said at the end of that scene, in the original script, what he wanted to show was, after the fight, the daughter gives birth to the mother now the problem was, he didn't know how cinematically to depict that (laughs) and that was the only thing that prevented him (laughs) from bringing that idea into fruition so he actually, he had this idea that yeah, at the end of that fight Eva would then give birth to Charlotte so the daughter gives birth to the mother, which is a complex and fascinating idea in itself and would well fit in with some of the other type of films that Bergman has done, such as Persona, where the character's identities start to merge into one. And he does that very cleverly in Persona, but he couldn't quite figure out how to cinematically show that in this film, so he abandoned that idea. But I think he kind of shows that idea in terms of themes and ideas. You know, he explores it through um, not so much imagery, uh, but through the symbolism of, you know, the the, the spoken dialogue and possibly the the difference between the spoken and the written, as Michelle had mentioned earlier. But what do you guys think of this idea of the daughter birthing the mother at the end?
0: Well, I mean, well, in a sense, this notion of birthing and rebirthing, you know, is one that I I think you can definitely, um, you know, sort of see happening in terms of this sort of alternation or as a way of understanding the revision processes that go on, you know, in terms of how you understand the film, how you're constantly being asked to revise your understanding of the film as the perspective shifts, as you get new information and also as, you, as within the, the film itself, characters are invited to see themselves in new lights. And so, you know, in in some sense I can see how that would be cinematically challenging, you know, (laughs) to have a daughter give birth to a, you know, I mean it would take it in all sorts of directions. Although, you know, it's interesting because I mean a lot of it rides on what you actually think happens and whether or not because I think I that we do and because we are shaped by the people who are in our lives you know sort of we have a child and then we are revised or rebirthed according to you know sort of what um our relationship with that child is and, and what direction that happens you know we it's not a it's certainly not a one it's not a i think that's a fascinating idea because it's suggesting that this as you said this tendency for children to blame parents For who they are and all of their problems and psychological issues, he's he's essentially insisting that that's not a unidirectional thing, and actually children have as much damage on their parents. You know, if you're going to look at it from the negative perspective, you know, because obviously it's also nothing
2: autobiographical about that statement there at all. Well,
0: but but it is absolutely true where you know sort of a parent is forced to revise their own sense of self, and I guess that that question is the degree to which that sort of glimpse on, and, and because there's so much performativity in, um, you know, sort of in Ingrid Bergman's, you know, obvious performance, but just in the sense that the degree to which that evening and conflict you believe that had a deep impact on her or the degree to which you think that she's returned to a former version of self-untouched. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, did they, did did that, C- can we be convinced that she is a different version of herself for that encounter?
1: She, I, I kind of get the feeling that um, Eva is slowly becoming a version of her mum, um, uh, Because mm. coming from a visual sense, if you look at it, the, the static um, shots that uh, represent the memory part of the film, which incidentally is like lit, very surreal compared to the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is almost very down to earth sort of uh, look. Um, we, I almost saw that um, the young version of Eva. Uh, you know, there's a scene where she uh, she's she's walking into the room where her mum's practicing, and her mum's um, reading a newspaper, and her mum goes, "It's time for you to go and play outside." And it was really heartbreaking. It's just that that small moment. And then later on, I almost feel like the um, yeah, the husband's almost like the young Eva. To, towards the old Eva mm-hmm. you know, yeah. at the end she, he, he's looking at her and, yeah. and she's in the distance writing a letter and he comes in and uh, you know uh, and so I kind of feel, feel like the whole birthing thing it, you, like you said Michelle is, is already playing um, throughout the whole film mm-hmm. uh, Bergman, Bergman the director didn't have to literally show the daughter birthing the mum because in a way she's slowly becoming uh, the mum anyway and through her own obsession. Yeah, through her own obsession, and her obsession is her mum,
2: you know, and uh... and I think that obsession can be seen very, very clearly in my favourite scene, uh, where you know the Ingrid Bergman character is playing the piano, and the the daughter Eva is just staring so intensely at her mother, and the way that the camera's is position is just absolute genius because uh, it's almost like Eva's looking directly at the camera, but she's looking at her mother, and her mother's a side profile. They're playing, uh, and and we see the envy the resentment the jealousy emotions we normally don't want to connect to you know uh parenthood or motherhood and and and, um daughterhood uh but it is connected in that scene there because it's almost like she's saying how is it that you can pour so much love and beauty into this piece and never did into my own life you know uh, and it's it's that tragic uh, understanding, I guess, that, that it's really quite beautiful um, and at the same time quite sad about this relationship. Um, so uh, I think it's, it is it is an interesting concept. And I think, you know, you, uh, you're both right in that uh, Bergman does show it, um, if not cinematically or visually, it does show it thematically throughout that, you know, it, it does come into fruition. Um, I I think we we have run out of time. Sorry to, because I feel like uh, Bergman, the director,
1: has created that in his real life too, because most of his kids, if you read about it, uh, became directors and writers themselves.
0: Yeah, and also just the fact that um, um, Ingrid Bergman made that decision, that conscious decision, in order to play herself with that, that question as well. You know, like at some point, when she was thinking about how she was going to represent this particular character, and as you said, Jimmy, this is perhaps one of the coldest performances of hers you've seen. Um, there's this, there's this, there's these terribly chilling resonances, isn't there, through you know, sort of the film through the real, um, and that's you know,
2: and it's also a very cyclical thing, too, you know, so it was very deliberate, I think, on uh, Ingmar Bergman's part. Uh, because uh, Ingrid Bergman's first film or first recognised film uh, in Hollywood uh, was Intermezzo, a film where she plays a pianist who gives up her lover so that her love could be with the kid. And in this film, we've come full circle. Yeah. Film of a career. She's now a pianist again, but this time she gives up her kids for her career. So we've come full circle in terms of Ingrid Bergman's uh, career, full circle in terms of her, her life and full circle in terms of Bergman himself as a director. So, um, in a way, a very fitting autumn sonata in itself, you know, encapsulates everything quite beautifully.
0: Look, Jimmy and Qua, first of all, thank you so much for joining us, um, Qua, in our um, podcast. I hope you'll be back for more. But also most, thank you both so much for suggesting that I watch autumn sonata because it's certainly enriched my life um and i think we might need to watch some more <laughs> but um thank you and that's it from us at from the lighthouse for this week and remember do like us at fromthelighthouse.org. thank you so much for joining us bye-bye